Now let us give attention to the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 4. And if you have a Bible in front of you, and the seats in front of you, it's going to be um, on page 1186. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. This is God's word. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day calling it today. When a long time later, he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, and nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you. And Lord, I also want to pray for Mike. I pray for healing in his back. I pray that you will touch him with your healing hand and your grace and mercy. And may you strengthen his back so that uh, he can be able to play with his grandkids this week and come back ready to go on Friday night. Lord, go with us now as we look into this wonderful text. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this past week, I've been reading a book by Pastor Andy Stanley. And the book is called The Principle of the Path. It's an outstanding read. Andy Stanley basically says in this book that our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. Our direction determines our destination. And what he means is that we will either win or lose by the paths that we choose. He says many people today, unfortunately, don't connect the dots between the choices they make and the outcomes that they receive. But most of the time, it's the choices we make that determines our outcome. And Andy gives an example in his book about a friend that he has who came into his church office one day, really struggling. He was very tired, extremely weary. And he said, Andy, our family is struggling financially. He said, basically, I've already spent our year-end bonus that I thought I was going to receive, but just this week I found out I don't get the bonus. It reminded me of Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. But the problem was, as the man began to continue to talk, Andy had this thought in his head saying, you should have seen this coming. 
you know, with some of the financial decisions you've been making, you should have seen this coming where you're going to hit rock bottom financially. Because on top of this, his, his history was he would always spend more than what he got. He maxed out on a home equity line of credit and had one leased car and one conventional car loan, along with all kinds of miscellaneous debt. You see, Andy's friend was in serious trouble. And as his friend began to fight back his emotion, he confessed he didn't understand why all this had happened to him. And then he he basically played out what I call the God card. And he said, Andy, why would God let this happen to me? I've always done my best to provide for my family. Why would he put me through this? You see, Andy's friend had a huge disconnect. He thought God was responsible for the bad decisions that he made. And his friend, as his friend desired a financial security, he headed down a path that would lead him to a very different destination. Stanley goes on to say that the direction you're currently traveling, whether it be financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it may be, will determine where you end up in each of these respective arenas. But see, the problem today that we all face here in this room is that we have a propensity for choosing the paths that don't lead in the direction that we intended to go. We may have great intentions and say, I'm going to go this way, and I have these goals, and I'm going to see this, to happen, see this through. But the problem is there's a thing called temptation. There's a thing called sin that oftentimes gets in our way, and it ends up, ends up basically leading us off the yellow brick road. We're told to follow the yellow brick road, but we end up going off because there's so many distractions and things that head our way. I'll give you an example of this that's very practical for us. A single woman may say, I want to meet and one day marry an incredible man of God who loves the Lord. But instead of waiting, she settles for any guy who asks her out who happens to be cute. A husband may say, I want my kids to respect me as they grow up. And then he openly flirts with women in the neighborhood. A man may say, I want to grow old and invest my latter years with my grandchildren. But he neglects looking over his health. A couple may say, we'd like our children to develop a personal relationship with God and and, and be able to choose friends who have done the same. But every single week, they skip church and go to the lake. Newlyweds may determine to be financially secure by the time they're their parents' age, but they adopt a lifestyle sustained by debt and leveraged assets. You see, this happens to all of us. We have good intentions at the beginning, but things begin to come our way, and it can lead us into an, onto, onto another path. Now, Stanley goes on to basically describe there's two paths that I, I came up with that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, this is very simple. The first path is that of disbelief. Now, our disbelief will lead us into disobedience, which will result into our destruction. And then there's the other path. Path number two, which is the path of belief, where our belief leads to our obedience in God and it results in rest. Now, we've been singing a lot about this word rest. And before I unpack these two paths, I want to talk about what this word means. And by the look on a lot of your faces this morning, you're thinking, yeah, right. What is rest? I don't know what that means. In fact, I know most of you in here and I know your story and I know that a lot of you are going through a lot. <laughs> and this is a hard time of year for many of you. You would think Christmas would be a time of celebration. It would be a joyous time. It would be time off from work. 
But instead, it oftentimes becomes the opposite, where we're constantly filling our schedules with, with other things. We're trying to meet deadlines at work. We have a family that's coming in town that we may or may not want to see. And by the way, my mother-in-law is here today, and I'm so happy you're here, Tammy. Don't take that for what I said. But Christmas can be a time where it's very stressful. And I think when we say the word rest, you're thinking, I can't rest even during Christmas. This is supposed to be a time of relaxation and vacation. But I really want to speak to you today. For those of you who are tired and you're weary and heavy laden. First off, Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are tired and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, whatever is on your mind, give it to me. And that's the point of today's passage, really. We've got to have faith in him and give everything to him. But as we look at this word rest in this passage, there's a few different meanings. In fact, in chapter 3, as, as we looked at last week, the meaning for rest was really designed for the Old Testament Jew. And if you know a little bit about the Old Testament, the story is, if you read the books of Exodus and Numbers, you begin to see that there are uh, the people of God called the Israelites. And they are enslaved by an awful tyrant called Pharaoh. And he will make them be restless all the time. He will keep them up with working late hours. He will beat them. He'll do whatever it takes for them to get the work done. And they were just enslaved. They could not worship freely the God they wanted to worship, the God Almighty. And so the message to the Old Testament Jews was this. God was promising them to get them out of that land, to get them out of that awful situation, take them on a new path and lead them through the wilderness and into the promised land of Canaan. And the promised land of Canaan was also known as the land flowing with milk and honey. Basically, it's a land where they could rest. They would no longer be under a tyrant ruler, but they would be able to worship freely. So in chapter 3, it's, it's really talking mainly about that, the, the rest meaning the promised land of Canaan. But as we look at chapter 4... Rest takes on a different meaning. The author begins to change gears a little bit. If you look in verse 4, it's really referring to the Sabbath day, where in Genesis 2, verse 2, it says that God created the world, and on the seventh day he rested. And that is called the Sabbath day. So it's really talking about the Sabbath day. In verses 5 and 6, rest means being in a right relationship with God, basically knowing that you are his child, and one day you will be with him in heaven. That gives you a lot of rest and peace and assurance. And then in verses 8 and 9, rest means eternal life, where one day we will see Jesus face to face and we'll be in his presence. And that will give us great joy and give us ultimate satisfaction and rest. So now that we know what rest is like, let's look at the first path. The first path, again, is the path of unrest or what I like to call disbelief. And as I said, it leads to our disobedience, which results in our destruction. The first point today is that God gives a warning to his people. In chapter 3, God is really talking to the non-believers. He's saying, you need to wake up, and if you don't wake up and believe in me, you're going to be restless. You're going to be a restless wanderer in the desert. You will never find rest. But in chapter 4, God is specifically talking about the Christian, the believers, those who trust in the Lord. And in verse 1, it says, therefore... And when you see the word, therefore, you always need to go back in chapter 3 and see what he's talking about. So in in chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, it says that even though God's people, the Israelites, saw all the miracles that God performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, they still did not believe and they disobeyed God. 
You see, the problem was is that these people weren't being careful. They weren't talking to other people to help them be held accountable. They were just living the life they wanted to live. And as a result, they were living disobedient lives. And God said, you won't enter into my rest. But in chapter 4, he's giving a caution. I imagine this having a big caution sign written right over it. Say, don't enter kind of thing. But it says here, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And I love that part where it says, let us. Because the writer of Hebrews is a concerned pastor. He's a guy who loves his people. And he's writing a letter to them saying, be careful that you don't stray on a different path. Stay focused and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him alone for your salvation and trust in him alone as you live your daily life. So he's saying, all of us be careful because it could happen to anybody where, where we could just fall away. But the word us, he's also saying that we all need to come together as a Christian community and help those who are falling. We need to come around those who say, I don't believe in God anymore. And we need to say, come back to the church. We love you. We need to encourage them. Just a few minutes ago, Mike baptized uh, Andy and Kelly's son. And it's so important because he just mentioned how his son, Knox, is now going into the church, basically. He's entering into the community. And that's so important because it's not just Andy and Kelly's responsibility to raise this child up. It's every single one of us who are Christians and who are members of this church is responsibility. We all have to come alongside and help this child be raised in the Lord. Now, this doesn't guarantee that he'll become a Christian. But what it does guarantee is that he will be prayed for, he will be loved, he will be encouraged, he will have the Bible read to him in Sunday school class. This could be a number of ways how we can help this child be raised. And as a result of that, the Holy Spirit can use those means to change his heart. So it's important when we baptize a baby, and it's important for all of us to work together to help this child be raised up in the Lord. Now, the reality today in America is daunting. Just last week, I was in the Bible Belt, my hometown, Knoxville, Tennessee, and we got to go to Baptist Church. It was an excellent sermon the guy gave. But he was saying, he was talking about Jonah, and he was saying the American church today, we're, we're leaving God's presence. We're, we're le- running away from him in the opposite direction, just like Jonah did. And so often this is happening in our culture, uh, even in the Bible Belt, where you talk to people and they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But then when you ask them, well, why are you a Christian? They have no idea. They can't tell you any reason why. They may say, well, I'm a good person. Or they may even say, well, I prayed a prayer once, but then they don't really live it. And this happens so often in our day-to-day, in our society. Now, in Stanley's book, he was saying that Catholics will often go to, some Catholics, not all, will often go to a confession booth. And they repent and they confess all their sins to a priest. The priest absolves those sins and then they feel better and then they go back to their old ways again. In their sinful ways. And we as Protestants can do the exact same thing. But instead, we avoid the confession booth. And we go directly to God. And we say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. And then a second later, we go right back to where we were before. This is constantly happening. And in fact, I just, uh, I just saw a Barna report. In 2005, a Barna study shows that out of 12,000 teenagers who took the pledge to wait for marriage... 80% of them had sex outside of marriage in the next seven years. Also, 26% of traditional evangelicals do not think premarital sex is wrong. You see, we get, when we do these types of things and we have this kind of behavior, 
We get both the relief that comes with forgiveness and the thrill that comes with sin. And that's a problem. Because our belief determines our behavior. And if we aren't believing in God, and we really don't know what that means, it's going to show in our behavior. Now, the reason I tell you all these statistics is because many people would say they're Christian, but they live like non-Christians. And if you really don't know what you believe and why you believe it, you're going to head down a slippery slope. You're going to head down a road that will lead to your destruction. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us a firm warning. He says that in the end, on judgment day, there's going to be people that come to him that say, Lord, you know, I, I knew you. I performed miracles in your name, and I said all these things about you. But Jesus is going to look at him and say, I never knew you because you never believed in me. You never really quite got it and wanted to submit to me. And as a result, he will throw them out. It's, it's strong language. Now, I'm telling you all this not to fire you up and to become judgmental. Because you know what? The last thing people outside of the church need are us as Christian policemen going up and saying, you're doing this and you're doing that and pointing the finger. People are turned away from those who are judging them. But I'm asking you as fellow Christians to be careful yourself not to fall into temptation and also to help your brother and sister out who are not being careful. To help those who are having or who are struggling with believing, to help those who have been away from the church for five years and still say they're Christian. You know, bring them back, have coffee with them, encourage them, pray with them, love them, speak the truth in love to them because that's what they need. The last thing I want to say about this is that we're, we're obviously not going to be perfect on this life because we're all sinners, but the reality here is that we don't need to be complacent. We need to strive for holiness and Philip Hughes says that there is no attitude more dangerous for the church than that of unconcern and complacency. You know, we as a church need to be concerned for our brothers and sisters. We need to be concerned for our own spiritual life. And we don't need to be complacent. We need to constantly be encouraging one another to strive to live good lives for the Lord. Now, I've just talked a lot about the wrong path to go on. But I have good news. And that is the second path. And that is our belief the path of belief. If we believe, it will lead to our obedience, which results in rest. Now, as I mentioned before about rest, if you look in verse 3 of chapter 4, the author says, now we who have believed enter that rest. What he's saying here is that our, our spiritual life begins to almost be right. And, and let, me, let me explain that. At UPC, we always talk about grace. And the idea of grace is that it is an undeserved gift. None of us deserve heaven at all. But it's because of God's grace where he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for us, to take our place, that we even have a chance with God, that we are made right with God and that we can even be in heaven with him. And it's this idea that we need to cheer up, and I've said this before because even though we are far more sinful than we ever imagined, each and every one of us are far more sinful than we ever imagined, we need to cheer up because we are far more loved than we ever dared to dream. That's the reality of grace. That is the truth of grace. And that's what the Bible tells us about. Grace is what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. If you talk to your Muslim and Mormon friends, you bring up grace. And that's what's different. Because there's no strings attached 
you know, God did it for us because he loves us. He's running after us. And it's this idea that once you understand that there is nothing you can do that can cause God to love you any more, and there's nothing you can do that can cause God to love you any less, when you begin to see that reality play out in your life, you can relax a little bit. And it helps you to be relaxed and to rest. And that's this whole point here. That when God says, you will enter my rest, he's saying, you cast all your worries and give them to me because I've done it for you. You know, once I began to understand this reality, this truth of grace, it was so freeing. And it was like this huge burden was lifted off of my back. And I realized, wow, this is what life is all about. This is what Jesus is all about, and this is what he's offering me. It's a free gift, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. I can give him whatever I want, and he takes it because he loves me. And that's the reality of grace. And when you fully understand that concept, it will change the way you live. You'll be excited to live for him. You'll realize when you do make mistakes, Jesus has paid for it. That doesn't mean you go do whatever you want to do. But it means you want to change because of what he's done for you. It's this gift that is incredible. And it's this gift of grace. And so once we understand that, we can rest. And rest assured knowing that one day, we'll see him face to face in heaven for eternity. And in verse 8 and 9, we begin to see this eternal rest that he's promising us. Where we will be in the presence of God. And let me tell you all, it's going to be a sight to see. It's going to be amazing. You've seen a lot of good sights in your life, but this is far beyond that. It is unimaginable. We're going to be singing. We're going to be dancing. We're going to be crying out for joy. We're going to be worshiping our God Almighty in heaven. And it's going to be wonderful. And it's going to be for eternity. Now, when we say rest and we talk about heaven, we're not saying we're just going to fall asleep in heaven and just relax. Yeah, there's going to be an element of rest. Because as we talk about the Sabbath day, God kind of set an example by resting from, from creation. This doesn't mean he just sat back and fell asleep and didn't continue to sustain his creation. But what it meant was, in Genesis 2, that he rested on, on the seventh day because he completed his work. He didn't have to do anymore. It was done. It was good. And as a result of that, all he had to do was sustain his creation. And so he's setting an example for us on our Sabbath day to the, so that if your Sabbath is Sunday morning, and so, or the whole day of Sunday, you rest, but you also worship him. You basically worship the creator of the universe. And that's what you're doing right now. And so on Sunday mornings, we rest and we worship. We worship the Lord because of what he's done for us. And we worship him because of the gift of grace. And so he's setting the example. God, our father, set the example of the Sabbath. Now, I also want to say that the Sabbath could be different days for some of us, like Mike and I. We're pastors. We work today. So our Sabbath day is Friday. You know, we take uh, Friday off. And let me tell you men in here especially, and women can do it too. But on your day off, turn off that BlackBerry. <laughs> it can be tough. It's tough to turn off work. But let me tell you, when I, when I check my email on my Sabbath, my wife points the finger at me and says, what are you doing? She lets me hear it. And I, and, I, and I say that because Sabbath is supposed to be a day where you don't think about your everyday activities. You rest. You, you just let it be. And I know it's hard in this culture 
because some people have to work on Sundays. But if you work on Sundays, take a day off during the week if you can, because it's important to do that. That's what ultimate, ultimately what rest looks like on the Sabbath. But see, this whole idea of the Sabbath kind of leads up to where we're going to have this idea of heaven, where we're going to be resting with him and also worshiping him. And it's going to be glorious. Now, I say all this because as we're talking about these two paths, there's some of you in this room, I fully believe, that don't believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in him, first off, we welcome you here. We're so glad you're here, and we love the fact that you've come here. And we hope you have had a, a wonderful experience of worshiping the Lord. But I want to urge you with this. If you don't know Jesus, you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to continue to go down a path that will lead you to your ultimate destruction. And that's the reality. That's the reality of life. That's the reality of the Word of God. And what I mean is, you can try to find happiness and satisfaction in, in, in the, the uh, opposite, opposite uh, sex. You could be looking for love in all the wrong places by looking for uh, love in the opposite sex in a relationship. You can be looking for love in the wrong, all the wrong places by looking for it with finances. Whatever it may be, the list goes on and on and on. If you continue to go down that path, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be happy. And so if you don't believe in Jesus, believe in him today. Because he is the only one, the only thing, the only person who will give you the ultimate satisfaction that you need. He is the one who will give you rest. You won't have to worry anymore. You just give it to him. And that's what he's calling us all to do. Now, in order to do that, you have to understand your need for him. You have to be able to realize, hey, I'm a mess up. I've made mistakes, and I can't do it alone without, without Jesus. And once you begin to see how big of a sinner you are, you are, then you'll begin to see your need for a Savior. And so today... I encourage you to trust in the Lord for the first time. Now, for those of you who believe in Jesus, which are most of you here, verses 12 and 13 explain an important message to us that gives us hope and gives us encouragement as we live our lives, and that is God's Word. You see, we have this arsenal, this weapon is what I call it. We have this truth of God's Word that will help us on our journey in life. And there's three adjectives that he mentions about God's word. He first says that God's word is alive. That means it's living. I've talked to several people who say, I, I think the Bible isn't relevant today. You know, it's talking to a specific culture in a specific time, and it's not relevant today. So why should I even read it? I've talked to people that say, well, I take bits and pieces of it, and, you know, it speaks to me, but, it, but it's really, I don't really see it as God's word. But let me tell you, Hebrews is, is basically saying it is his word. It's alive. It's living. And so if you ever want to know what God is telling you, open up the Bible and read because those are his words and he's talking to you and to me. God's word is also active. And the Greek word for active is energy. I love that because it's basically saying that God's word gives us energy. It fills us up so that we can be energetic. It also means it's powerful and effective. And then I love how it says that the word of God God is sharper than a double-edged sword. Because in this passage, it's basically saying that uh, to the ancient Near East culture, that a double-edged sword was the sharpest of all weapons. And it's this idea that it will penetrate to the core of your heart. It will go right through and it will hit you hard to where your emotions will explode. And you'll say, wow, this is what life is all about. It's about Jesus and following him. And it's also sharp in that it protects us. It protects us from the evil one. I want to end by saying this. I, I've been reading 
in my devotions the book of Leviticus. And if you're a new Christian, I encourage you not to start out with Leviticus. It's a, it's a pretty challenging book. But um, one of the commentaries I was looking at said that beliefs compel our rituals and rituals enact beliefs. And what that basically means is this, is that when we believe in Jesus for the first time, it leads us into rituals. And rituals, what I mean, would be like church, coming to church, reading the Bible, praying, telling others about God. So our beliefs lead us into doing those things. But the, things are, the, th- the reality is, is that the more we do those things, it will enact our beliefs. I'll give you an example. I remember talking to a friend who was seeing a counselor. And this specific counselor, I don't think it was a Christian counselor, but, but they, they said, my friend was saying, I'm really struggling with believing in God right now. And the counselor said, well, you don't need to read your Bible for a month. Just let it go and just, and just uh, let it be. And I completely disagree with that counsel. Because the whole idea here is that we need the Word of God, even when we're struggling, even when we're going through a time of doubt, because those rituals are the things that help reenact our faith. And the more we're in the Word, the more, like, the more um, truth God can give us. And I know it may sound like formula or duty, but those things help us to reenact our faith and to strengthen us and to energize us. And so I encourage you, if you're doubting right now, to stay true to the Word. Still try to read it. Pray to other, pray, uh, pray, talk to other Christians to encourage your faith, because beliefs compel rituals and rituals enact beliefs. Now, as I've said here, there's two paths to take in this life, and if you take the path of disbelief and never trust in Jesus as Lord, it will cause you to disobey God and lead to your destruction. But the good news is, is that you have, if you have faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and in Him alone, and give Him everything you got, it will not only give you rest but it will give you a salvation and eternal life with him. Uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, pray today that the Holy Spirit will enliven your heart and will fill you with joy as, as you trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the reality of this passage that you are our ultimate rest. And the only way we're going to find rest is if we put our trust in you. I love the fact that God our Father, you... You rested from creation. You set a great example of how, how, what it looks like. And on Sunday, many of us will go home today, and I pray that we'll be able to turn off our cell phones, that we'll be able to focus on our families, focus on you, be able to rest a little bit. And during this holiday season, I pray that we won't get so consumed with uh, material uh, things and all, the, all these other uh, empty promises, but instead I pray that we will be consumed with you because uh, you're really the reason for the season. You're the gift that keeps giving, and we thank you for the birth of Jesus. Lord, go with us now, and may we find rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.